I'm Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's About About Time Time for True Crime. Hey. Hi. How are you? So good. How are you? Oh, just wonderful. Oh, I love it. It's my favorite part of the week. I love Tuesdays with like all my heart and soul. They're so good. The only thing is that I wish I could sleep in, but I I do love a Tuesday. It's nice though, because the pros make up for the cons. Of course they do. You know? That's all life is, baby. Pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Strikes and gutters. <laughs> In the words of the Big Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah. And we do have <clears throat> a pro bowling <laughs> player in our midst. So I'm just saying <laughs> she lettered. She had a varsity letter. Uh, not to brag. In bowling. I got a varsity in bowling Who well does that you guys haven't heard our bowling alley massacre oh gosh. episode you'd hear all more about abby's <sighs> um pro time Ooh, thank you but that is also a very difficult episode to listen to in which we both cry probably 10 times oh my gosh and i'm sorry because i know i repeated all of it a bunch of times but i just could not wrap my head around it at all and i was still crying about it sometimes they just get you they do i still can't look at anything with the girl scout murders like i was so in that for like 30 hours of my that's so much time to spend in that also just gives you like the smallest like the teeniest tiniest eeniest weeniest glimpse of what it must be like to be a family member for one of those people because it's, it's horrible. It's this draining for 30 hours. They That's a day for them. And it's every day. That It just sucks. So uh, all that to say, I do love bowling. And that is a very sad, sad case. Some of these really get you. Some of them really do. And they should. I mean, I don't think we'd be human if that weren't the case. But also they're important to talk about. And the fact that the bowling alley massacre still isn't solved. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? You can me? lose sleep over that. I mean, something needs to be done. If those things aren't talked about, they're forgotten about. Right. And the other piece of it, too, is I think the difficulty in talking about it is something that we have to do, not only to honor them, but to also keep us from using any of these tragedies as something flippant you know what Mm -hmm. I mean like one thing that really really irritates me about other true crime podcasts not all of them but there are a few that it it just feels gossipy it feels excited almost and like I'm intrigued and I'm excited to talk about it but I'm never excited about somebody losing their life no and I think the lens that we always look through everything in is course is like I mean, we've spent a combined over a decade of our lives yeah, learning about it and then just as much working in it that if you aren't paying attention to those things and you aren't taking an inventory of what happened, what could have been done, what can we do, how do we see warning signs, like we are those friends that right. are <laughs> thinking of those and we are those people that feel like we have to try to be a step ahead, that like there's always something to learn from it. It shouldn't have been for nothing. What can we do about it? How can we advocate for them? What else can happen? And also, like, we see you and we hear you and we'll sit in the shit with you. And I think that's such a huge part of it. And then we'll always share resources because we know that the shit we sit in. Yes. Is a lot. And it's heavy. And sometimes. It's a lot of shit. Sometimes you need help carrying it. And that's okay. And that's okay. You're always allowed to ask for help. And our Instagram page has, like, an entire 
yeah. highlight of all kinds of resources for like anything that you can imagine. So you literally don't even have to Google it. There's nothing in your search history. And it's there for you to screenshot on purpose. And when it's one of those days where it's like everything is going wrong. So I'm laughing because of course, why isn't it going wrong? We have memes to keep you giggling. Of course. Um, But all that to say, I just I love that we do this and I like that we do it in a way that feels respectful and like. I, I don't know. I'm proud of the way that we handle this because it's difficult. It is difficult content. I don't I don't take lightly to the people like laughing about it. I will always never miss an opportunity to make fun of the offender. Oh, absolutely. Um, they deserve to be in the deepest depths of hell and I will be making fun of them all their <laughs> way down. So that's my coping. Yeah. With it. And again, sometimes it. If you're not laughing, you're crying. And sometimes it's so bad that you're crying that you're laughing because you're like, of course I am. Why aren't I? Oh, yeah. And you need both. Humor is important. Well, let me tell you, this case is no different. Oh, great. The okay. one that we're going to be talking about today, mm-hmm. because there is a little bit of humor in here because oh. I um, can't resist. <laughs> because, again, if you are not laughing, you are crying. Um, so I'm thinking we just get into it. Yeah, let's do it. So let's ask our skippers to stop skipping. Yoo-hoo! Skippers, stop skipping pod time thank you so hi hello and welcome back to your favorite true crime podcast we appreciate and love you being here so thank you oh you guys um just a really quick shameless plug please rate review subscribe should tell a friend uh follow on instagram and um download and do all the other things <clears throat> so thank you I will just say from the start here that this case can be a little bit like here, there and everywhere. It's confusing. All right. So I've done my best to break this down in a way that this is not confusing. So we are going to have some different plot lines going on and then we will meet in the middle. Perfect. Why did I say it like our old Russian man? In the middle. In the middle. (laughs) We will meet in the middle, damn it. Okay. Natasha. (laughs) Come here. We are meeting in the middle. (laughs) Middle. Anyway. (laughs) So bear with me. Okay. I am going to ask that you please keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the podcast at all times because this will, in fact, be a bumpy ride. You know the drill. Heck yeah. Put those shoulder harnesses on. The harness is on. (laughs) Come on. So, first things first. Mm -hmm. This case is one that a lot of people talk about for one reason and one reason only. And that's because it's said to be the first web-based murder. Ooh. Okay, so the very first murder or one of the very first murders, one of the bigger talked about cases that wouldn't have happened had there not been internet. Okay. So we'll get into this because that's going to be pretty much all that this case revolves around. Okay. But first, we're going to have to talk about our main guy. Okay. Okay. And his name is Jerry. Oh, Jerry. So Jerry Cassidy was born in 1960 in Kansas City, Missouri. And again, I'm choosing like another Missouri case was not my intention, <laughs> but we just covered Sharon Kinney. Apparently, I was in the in the Missouri feelings. Okay. okay. So his parents had four children. All right. All boys. He was the youngest of them. Okay. He had a very typical childhood. His parents were not unlike the neighbors. He didn't have any kind of craziness going going on when he was growing up they were very family oriented they went on family fishing trips it was really nice the boys kind of all teased each other um they were like jokingly and teasingly competitive with each other you know a bunch of boys you know brothers are and uh things were going pretty well 
Yeah, I was going to say that sounds like a delightful little childhood. Jerry grew up. He wanted to protect and serve. He went into a career in law enforcement. And when he was young, when he was of age, he started. And he actually worked his way all the way up in the department to being a homicide detective. (whistles) Which is very difficult to accomplished and really awesome that he set his mind to it and then he did it well that's awesome though i'm really glad that's a huge accomplishment he became close with a dispatcher that he worked with her name was barbara or babs or barbie or however she went by yeah um but they actually started dating and then they actually got married okay so they both worked at the same department he met her through work and so now they're together she had had two children from a previous relationship so then she entered the marriage with them, and then the two of them had a baby boy together. Okay. And they led what was a happy life. Pretty average, run-of-the-mill, nothing okay. too crazy kind of life, but they were happy. They both worked. They were respected in their careers. They had a home. They raised their kids. That sounds so nice. Things went well. And they're still in Missouri. Still in Missouri. All right. So then 1998 rolls around. Jerry's okay. in his late 30s. Again, he was born in 1960, so he's like 38 at this point, and he's still working for the same department. He is a homicide detective by now, but things were starting to change at work. Oh. Jerry had caught wind that some of his colleagues had falsified paperwork in a murder case, Ooh. which was absolutely horrible. That's a big and fat no-no. he was disgusted by this, so he brought it to the attention of the higher-ups, and he blew this up like he was the whistleblower here oh shit he knew that this information needed to be escalated and then once the supervisors investigated it and ultimately realized that it was true all of the officers that were involved were swiftly terminated okay i mean good response difficult to be the whistleblower i'm sure well right and so i don't know if this did happen but it's possible that these officers were no longer allowed to work in law enforcement at all due to the nature of this offense Because falsifying evidence is despicable and they were likely blackballed from the profession altogether. So this didn't just interrupt their being police officers in this particular department. It was likely widespread. You got to get a new career. Which I can understand. But after this happened, it was like the other co-workers turned on him. Okay, so he was the he was the whistleblower that put the department under scrutiny Mm -hmm. and now he was being pushed out. And I don't. First of all, that's fucked up. Okay, he did what he needed to do. He has a moral and ethical code that he has to uphold. It's not that he shouldn't have called them out. It's that they shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. And frankly, if you're that worried about someone who's willing to call out something heinous like that, that you start turning on them. Maybe it's time for some self-reflection on what you think they're going to find. Yeah, and maybe you're part of the problem. Mm. The other piece, though, that I consider, not that I think it makes it okay at all, and they still should not have treated Jerry like this, and this was not the way to react, but I wonder if Jerry was very, like, boastful about it or anything Mm. like that. And then once the people that needed to be removed were removed, maybe there was still constant scrutiny because of all of that, like, talk, and maybe the ones who didn't have anything to do with it We're getting fed up with all of it. We're kind of getting like swept into the group of like, hey, these three guys were assholes and they did things that they kept private. Mm -hmm. I wasn't part of this. Why am I being lumped in? Right. So I do wonder if there was just like all of these moving parts above their head where everybody now was like under the thumb and maybe it could have been handled like a little better, a little differently. That being said, though, not Jerry's fault. 
No. The higher up should have noticed something was going on. They sh- everyone should have been checking that. You shouldn't have had people that weren't trustworthy in the first place. But ultimately, Jerry was the one that ended up paying for it because right. he ended up getting turned on. And that was really, really difficult for him. That's so, also why there's whistleblower laws to protect this from happening. Yeah, because you shouldn't. If someone was doing time yeah. for this wrongfully, you bet your ass someone should have been told but all of a sudden jerry was demoted oh and then he was getting formal write-ups and disciplinary action for like the smallest infractions that really everyone was doing and no one else was getting written up for seems like getting quiet fired and then once they were able to they fire fired him so this was devastating for jerry because he had dreamed of a career in law enforcement he'd worked his butt off to get to a good position. Mm-hmm. He was passionate about the work he did. And then he saw something unethical and criminal criminal going on in his workplace. He called attention to it. And then that same workplace turned on him. Because of that. That is so, ridiculous. One thing that happens in careers where there's high stress is that those involved form a very tight bond. Usually compared to a family. This isn't unique to law enforcement, but you'll definitely see it in law enforcement. But EMTs, EMS, uh, within fire departments, in the military, even emergency room staff. Careers in which there's risk and danger and trauma usually results in camaraderie. A closeness that not everyone experiences, right? Yeah, and I think that's one of the beautiful parts about the lines of work that you go into like that. But it can also be one of the most challenging because people are half of what gets you through it. Well, exactly. And so they bond over this shared work trauma. They protect each other. I mean, they have to be able to trust each other more than most. Yeah. And especially in law enforcement, if your colleague makes poor choices or they're unethical or they don't have your back, that could get you or someone else killed. I mean, these are serious implications you have to trust the person next to you with your life and they have to trust you too because a hesitation can mean life or death any a wrong call a bad judgment ulterior motives it doesn't matter those can all be really bad and so their colleagues are often a great source of support because they can empathize with what you're going through you probably spend more time with them than your own family if you're working in this career because a lot of that's shift work. A lot yeah. of that's overtime and working odd hours that not everybody's working. A police officer, just like an EMT, just like a firefighter, just like any kind of, and I compare it to military and, you know, I always think like emergency room staff yeah. too is on this where it's like you don't work your normal nine to five weekends off and have everything, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Never miss a birthday party and get to do all that. So the people that you work alongside with, they are your closest friends. They are your family. They are supposed to have your back. And so these are the people that day in and day out you're with. And so for many first responders, their best friends are people they work with. Yeah. They're some of the only people that get it and really get it. Get what you're going through. Get what you're dealing with. It matters. Now... The issue here is that when it's good, it's great. And when yep. it's bad, it's terrible. Yep. <laughs> so if there are cracks, those cracks get bigger. So when Jerry calls attention to this moral and ethical issue, even though it was 100% the right thing to do, he ended up suffering too. Yeah. He lost the career that he worked hard for, the career that gave him purpose in life that 
allowed him to work on the most challenging of cases and reach a resolution that offered comfort to families. He was really passionate about that and put away the people responsible. But he also lost the connections in the family he had there. These aren't average colleagues. Then he became an outsider. He was looked at sideways. They'd been just aching for a way to get rid of him. And then they end up doing it. So he lost his career and most of his friends as a result of this. And it's situations like this that make people who want to speak up unable to speak up because they're afraid of retaliation. You don't know what retaliation looks like. Right. And it can get really bad. Mentally, this took a toll on Jer Bear. Yeah, Jer Bear. He got back on his feet after getting fired. Um, He got a job as as a security officer at a casino that had recently opened nearby. Okay. So... He was still at this low point, though. I mean, mentally, like when I say he struggled, I mean, he took a nosedive down the mental health like cliff. Yeah. He was really struggling. And then every other piece of his life suffered, too. Well, and if you imagine, it's like. We talk about in sociology as a whole safety nets, right? There's this whole phenomenon about safety nets. If one misses you, you're going to be caught by another. Right. Mm -hmm. So like. You, you fall to church, one, you go, you go to, to the next one. Or work, you have your family, you have religion, you have all of these different things. And the purpose of having as many supports as you have is so that there's something to stop you from that nose drive the first second you want to take it. And it sounds like Jer Bears, all of them kind of got wrapped up in this because when your work has most of your friends and people that are like family to you, And when that is your passion and the thing that makes you happy, and that is the place you go all the time, you're losing a lot with one loss. Exactly. And it took a toll on the other aspects of his life that he probably thought would have been spared by this. Right. And it wasn't the case. Oh. So he gets this security job at a casino. He's still at this low point. He is grieving his lost career. And now with this casino, there's beautiful women and there's alcohol and there's gambling, which were all very destructive but effective ways of distracting himself from the shit show that had become his life. So then he put in a transfer to Reno, Nevada and relocated the family. And of course, my first thought was, oh, my God, Reno 911. But no, Hmm. we're not going there. But he did actually get the he put in for the transfer and he got it. So. It might have been a better place for him to go than like Vegas yeah, or maybe, you know, some distance from where he was would be healthy, but it didn't solve all his problems. Like, oh, I just got to get away from it. So my problem stayed there and I went here. No, he brought all of his problems with him. Now he's just in Reno. The problem when it's mental health is he can't leave it. You don't get to do that. So (laughs) he's working at a casino, different one this time. He's drinking far more than he should have been. His wife, Barbara, she's had enough by this point. She had stuck by him. She had supported him. She'd loved him. Right. She'd moved with him. She'd left her family behind in Missouri. She had tried. But he was abusing alcohol and making tons of reckless choices. And she ended up leaving him. She went home to Missouri. Okay. And I believe with their shared son. So not only did he lose his wife in this, but custody of his child went with her back to Missouri. I understand And that. he's still in Reno. So then now Jerry's doing worse. He was in <laughs> Reno for a while longer okay. um, after this. So he just kind of stayed out there, was still being a little, little messy here. And then his cousin back home who lived in Missouri also called him up and was like, listen, you are going through a tough spot. 
I want you to know that I've got room for you in our house. Mm -hmm. I think they had like an in-law apartment or some other kind of like apartment in their home that was like the basement level of the house. So they were like, we know that you're struggling. Why don't you come home? Okay. Why don't you come do that? And so he did. Okay. So then we'll fast forward to February 11th, 2000. Okay. So we're in Odessa, Missouri now at the cousin's house. Sure. Jerry was living there. The cousin and uh, the cousin's wife, Lynn, was living there. We don't really talk about the cousin much, but we will talk about Lynn. Okay. Um, because now he's living there. And it wasn't odd for a few days to pass and for them to not see each other. Okay. They were all adults. It wasn't like he was in their living room every single day. There were sort of like separate living quarters. Yeah. So if a few days went by and they didn't see Jerry, was not okay. the end of the world. Not crazy for them. But... It had been a few days, and the family knew that Jerry had struggled with depression. Okay. He'd gone through a divorce again recently, and family issues, career issues, and in the past, he had asked for space yeah. when he was having a tough time, and they'd always respect that, because that always seemed to be what helped him the most, but then they coupled not seeing him in a few days with the really weird smell coming from downstairs. Oh, no, no, no. the wheels started turning, got a little suspicious. So Lynn is like, okay, the smell's getting worse. And my home, she starts getting closer and closer to the door that separates her and Jerry. And the smell gets worse. Oh, gosh. The closer she gets to this door. She ended up letting herself in, which she probably wouldn't have done if she weren't concerned. And she calls out to Jerry and doesn't get an answer. Okay. She moves down the stairs. There's his armchair sitting. It's like next to this window. It's facing the window. So the back of the armchair is to her. Okay. So she is not looking at him, but she does see the back of his head. She sees that he is sitting in the chair. Oh, So she calls to him again. Again, he doesn't answer. She walks up to him. The smell gets worse, like, with each step that she's taking. Oh, gosh. And, like, out of a movie, she comes around, and she sees that Jerry wasn't ever going to answer her. Oh, no. Because he was dead. Yeah. He had died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Oh, my gosh. And the scene really does sound like it's out of a movie. Like, you come around and there's like this big swivel armchair with its back to you and so you either like spin the chair around or you walk around and there's someone sitting there and it's either like this mummified body or someone you didn't think it was or like a skeleton there or something like that like this is what she has walked downstairs into in her own home this is her husband's cousin yeah she knows him to have been struggling but she knows him as a decent guy right weird smells going on she's like what is going on she goes down clean roommate until it started smelling and and he's dead yeah oh gosh that sucks that's a the family could not wrap their head around what had happened i mean they knew that jerry had been going through an incredibly difficult time but nobody thought that he was at a point where this might happen oh man okay and they were really surprised they were not only grieving his death, but I mean, he was young. He had a lot going for him. Right. If he had pulled himself out of the slump, he could have gotten, he could have been in his kids' lives again. He could have done all of the things where 
time to get a, a different career that brings him joy or a different location for the same career. Maybe he and his wife could have revisited things. I mean, who knows? But he was at the very, like he had hit rock bottom, put it mm-hmm. that way. There's only up from there. And he didn't get to see that. If I can really quick, but just a reminder that uh, you guys, it never hurts to ask someone if you're worried. Doesn't give them the idea. It's just gives them someone to talk to about it. And if you need a reason not to, here it is. And if you need someone to talk to about it, don't forget about 988. All right. You can keep going. I just, you know me, I have to. <laughs> After the initial shock was over, the family started packing up his things. They had to figure out what to do with it all. And it was at this time that they found a big black briefcase under his bed. Oh, okay. So we're going to put a pin here. I promise we'll be back. All right. Leave all of that there. Switch gears with me to Flint, Michigan in 1999. Oh, shit. Okay. Okay. So we're going to rewind the clock a little bit. Bruce Miller worked at a GM plant and he also owned a junkyard and shop to work on cars. Bruce had got a call on November 8th while he was working at the junkyard. It was nighttime. Okay. He, I don't know, was kind of wrapping up work for the day to head home to his wife. He answered the phone. His wife, Cherie, was trying to make plans with him for dinner. Oh, okay. So they, I don't know, came to some kind of conclusion. I think he was to pick up some pizza on the way home. Nice. And after they hung up, Bruce was shot. What? He was shot with a 12-gauge shotgun, and he died where he fell. Holy shit. There were no fingerprints. There were no hairs. There were no shoe prints, no security footage. But it was pizza night. It was pizza night. Now, Cherie Miller was at home waiting for her husband, Bruce, to come home. Yeah. Again, he's bringing pizza home. She's like, it is pizza night. Let's go. Yeah. She's probably got her fat pants on. She is ready. Hubby and I, we're going to destroy this pizza. It's a great day. But instead, who comes to the door is not her husband, but it's the police. Oh, God. Making the next of kin notification that her husband would not be coming home, that he was murdered at his place of work. So a bit about Cherie. Okay. Cherie Kitley was born October 13th, 1971. All right. Cherie did not have a great childhood. Her mom was absent most of the time. When she was there, it was always accompanied by different men, different abusive men. Cherie suffered abuse by these men. So did her mom. Apparently, Cherie was married a few times and then divorced a few times. Okay. Uh... There's not a whole lot of information on these marriages, probably because they weren't long enough to really have a whole lot of yeah information available on them. Yeah. By the time she was in her mid-20s, she was a single mother of three. Okay. She worked odd jobs here and there. She also worked as like a saleswoman for Mary Kay, the cosmetics brand. Ooh. Um, and I don't think we see this as much today, but it used to be really common for women to sell cosmetics door to door and like host parties in their home yeah. to promote products as their little side hustle i think that this has probably since been replaced with like affiliate links and storefronts on like amazon and things like that but yeah know that this did actually used to be common so sheree the single mom of three in her 20s winds up getting a job at a local junkyard okay this junkyard was the one that bruce miller owned Okay. She started working as a bookkeeper for the shop. And uh, 
She was 26 at this time. The two hit it off, and even though he was 47, the age difference seemingly didn't matter, and the two were, like, almost instantly a couple. Oh, all right. That's so there was, like, 20 years between them. It's a lot, but she also has kids, and it sounds like they might be in a similar stage of life. Well, they quickly dated, and then they moved in together, and then just got married. Oh, that's really fast. And I want to say they eloped, or went somewhere to get it, it was something like it wasn't a really a big ceremony it was pretty small and pretty quick okay so they got married in early 1999 okay this was bruce's fourth marriage sheree's third marriage so together six marriages has to be good luck right yeah sixth sixth yep. time the charm yep. you know you've heard that before right yeah for yeah. sure definitely so yeah Bruce was head over heels for Cherie, and she said she was lucky to have him because he was so different from the men that she used to date. Okay. The men that she used to date, she sort of followed in her mom's footsteps. They were also abusive. They were also not great. And so then she met Bruce, and Bruce treated her like he just bowed to the ground that she walked on. Okay. Bruce actually initiated the process to legally adopt her children. And really be a family because he was just like, I've found my person. I've found who I want to be with. I love her kids as if they're my own. And I want to make this. That's really sweet. A real family unit. He was legit the dad that stepped up. Bruce also wanted to support her passions and the things that she wanted to do. So, you know, it was the late 90s. So it was rare to have a computer. And if you did, it was loud and massive with giant towers Mm -hmm. and like a million cords probably took up a whole room but bruce wanted his wife to have the best and thought that between the bookkeeping at the shop and then selling the mary Kay cosmetics that she would benefit from having a computer oh and he bought her one bruce i mean it was just like it took up the size of his desk like it was pretty massive and i'm pretty sure they had it at the shop so that she could like work on the bookkeeping there but also do other things and what have you so Anything to make her happy, right? Happy wife, happy life. You know, that's right. But you see, this computer gave Cherie access to more than just bookkeeping. Yeah, they do that. It gave her access to a world unknown. And that world was America Online. Or you may remember it as AOL. (laughs) On AOL, you can enter chat rooms and talk with pretty much anyone, anyone from anywhere as long as they too had a computer. And we're on. And uh, it was a way for people to connect over common interests and people talk to others that they would probably never run into IRL. Yeah. Now, in 1999, we focused mostly on the benefits of the internet, right? Yeah. We weren't really aware or didn't really consider the dangers lurking there. Today, I think we are more aware. We're more cautious online. We know that there's scams, although those scams have like gotten more intricate as we've learned how to adapt to them but yes, i do. think we all know or sh- most of us know that no nigerian princess needs your help and she surely doesn't need to know your first pet's name or the town you were born in so i'd you like to say so? we're there but do you think i shouldn't have said that probably not no oh gosh <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> so we also know that people aren't always who they say they are online yeah okay Take Facebook, for example, because I think that's the platform most of us think of for messaging, groups, chats, things like that. 
Um, think of when that first launched. Okay. When it first came out, people thought it was cool. It was neat to catch up with long distance family members, like find that friend you'd lost touch with after high school. Yeah. See the day to day of many of the folks you weren't calling up all the time. And it had its benefits for sure. It still does. I'll just stick with the Facebook example, but plug in really any early social social media here. Yeah. But when Facebook first launched, we didn't immediately jump to all the possibilities that people were making fake accounts or that they were being predatory or unsavory. We were pretty much naive and perhaps a little bit more trusting and optimistic because for a lot of us, it just didn't occur. We thought, right. okay, yeah, maybe, but like it wasn't, the threat wasn't initially there because people made Facebook accounts and they were them. Like, it was like, here's everything I've done since the last time you've seen me. This is, they put it all into. And then people got creative. Well, right. they do. But people were so either, I mean, authentic or not authentic. They were using their name. Of course, you always try to make your life look better on social media than it is. Yeah. But by and large, pretty accurate telling at first of what was going on day to day. The biggest issue that you probably considered was a creepy uncle adding your friends. Yeah. Which was like uncomfortable or maybe a family member oversharing like the drama at book club because mm. that could be cringy or like that one person that posted every single meal that she ate with like a sepia tone oh over it. And it was like, ah, yes, this is photography. Valencia. <laughs> you know, so we now know like fake profiles financial scams people finding out where we live mm-hmm. all of that but you think of like the first six months facebook was a thing yeah wasn't what we were seeing and it was still like the abby and Allie are recording yeah. you know what i mean like it was fill in the blank you are doing you are seeing watching hearing because it was all just like firsthand experience oh this is what i'm doing today Exactly. And so we're not talking about Facebook in this episode. We're going to talk about AOL and really just like emailing and chat rooms in general. But think of like how you felt that those first few months or whatever of like the trusting. It wasn't plastered everywhere on the news like it is today about all the scams that are going on. We just didn't know then. We didn't know what to expect. It was a new world for everybody. Yep. And then you give it a few months, give it some time. And then we start filling in all the blanks of like, oh, like these are all the ways this can go wrong. And Mm -hmm. this is, these are the laws we should have to protect us now because technology advanced a lot faster than the laws did. Right. Right. All of that to say, just keep that in the back of your mind when you're listening to this episode. Um, Because a lot of the aspects we are talking about is just, it's worth comparing when you're visualizing AOL in the 90s and at first it's good and then you learn about the bad stuff later as it comes out. Right. So we're going to get into the AOL chat rooms. Homegirl Cherie found herself on AOL all the time. Ooh. Um, and on social media, you can be anyone you want to be. Even though people think you're being honest and everyone thinks you are who you say you are. Right. But if you're creative, you can be anybody that you want to be. You don't have to be you. And they'll believe it because it's on your profile. Instead of using the internet to promote sales for her husband's business or maybe anything for her side cosmetics business or really anything at all, she decided she wasn't going to be productive. She was going to have fun. All right. And that fun came in the form of joining chat rooms. Now she got to live a different life on the internet. Um. She loved flirting 
in chat rooms. In fact, mm. Cherie had over 25 different screen names. Holy Cherie. Including, but not limited to, Horny7241, I Want to Be Laid, and Love Me Slowly. That one's tender. Mm. Now, of course, there, these were like... <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. It's just they're cracking me up. Love me slowly. Mm-hmm. And then type in ellipses. no seriously almost all of her screen names were sexual in nature and she just loved getting to be sensual and mysterious and raunchy and erotic online david (laughs) i miss being in a room full of people who find me interesting (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's like alexis rose we love sheree not so much now she's alexis rose uh without the growth and with a lot more regression correct okay And like malice. Ooh, okay. So her husband, Bruce, was not the most tech savvy man and assumed that her cosmetic sales must be doing great because she's spending so much time on the computer. Bruce. I know. So again, she's in these chat rooms. She's flirting it up. She's having a grand old time. And she even started sending some R-rated photos of herself. Oh, early nudes. Mm-hmm. And okay. she got so much attention from it that Homegirl started making videos of herself. I and then getting paid. sent the VHS tapes, because this is where we're at. She made VHS tapes, talked to these men online, got mailing addresses for them, and mailed the VHS tapes to them as like a little DIY home porn. Oh, and Bruce had no idea. Her husband who bought her this computer, has no idea that this is going on. This was not something that he consented to. Is this like Cherie's XXX Netflix? Or Netflix XX? Uh-huh. I like Damn. that. Netflix. <laughs> Trademark. Um, <laughs> so now, of all of these people that Cherie graced with her flirtatious and outgoing online presence... There was one in particular that she talked to a lot. Okay. A man that went by the screen name Reno Dude. Okay. And Reno Dude was the screen name for none other than Jerry Cassidy. I was wondering. Um, and here's where our two tales collide. Okay. Okay. So at this time in our story, Jerry is still living in Reno, thus Reno Dude. Sure. Makes sense. He is at the lowest point in his life. He has pretty much no family, no friends, career that's not doing well. He's drinking a lot. He's gambling and he is looking for attention in all of the worst places. And he's getting it, which makes it worse. So Cherie and Jerry really connected, or at least they seem to. Okay. On AOL, on these chat rooms, and then they exchanged personal information, started exchanging emails and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Jerry is still, again, at the lowest point of his life. He does not have his friends. He does not have his kids. He does not have his wife. He does not have the family. He's boozing. He is gambling. Drugs and alcohol are accessible pretty much everywhere he goes. I don't know how much of it he's swatting away. Yeah. He'd lost many of the people he was closest to when he'd lost his job. So what he did have was Cherie. And whatever screen name she was going under at the time. He opened up to her like a book. Oh, God. He poured it all out to her. And she was there to listen. And she encouraged him. And she offered comfort where he had none. 
she also flirted with him and she sent him photos so like if he was having a bad day she might just send him a photo of his breast friends to cheer him up <laughs> oh and she did oh jerry and so Cherie, there's, so, there's so many other ways I know. Well, Cherie really took advantage of this man's weakness. And as sad as it is, it's also kind of pathetic on both of their parts. Yeah. Because he was wasting his days self-destructing. And I think he wrongly believed that Cherie was like the light that he was missing. And he shared every deep secret with her. He was as vulnerable as vulnerable can be. And for Ree, she was just kind of having fun. She got to be who she wanted to be. So she was this fun, sexy, supportive, like girlfriend to him. But she didn't mean it. Right. She told him that she's this wealthy business owner. Okay, um, sure. Living in Flint, Michigan, she's not lying about where she lives, but she is lying about the actual, like, circumstances of her life. So she's right. like, I've got more money than I know what to do with. And due to a lawsuit, you know, she's like, I'm about to get this large settlement. So she's, like, telling him uh. that, like, not only does she already have a lot of money, but she's also got a lot of money coming to her. And all of that money would actually allow her to alleviate all of Jerry's financial burden. So, like, if the two of them got together and everything, well, then she'd surely take care of him. And how nice that feels. Oh, no. Okay. So, to Jerry, she's a golden ticket. I mean, she's a gem. Here's this woman who listened to him, gave him attention, flirted with him, made him feel like a man again, you know? Yeah. And she wanted to be with him. She could be with anyone. She wanted to be with him. They wrote, and I'm not exaggerating, thousands of messages to each other. Yeah, that and checks. fantasized about a life that they'd have together. Oh. And then she was also down to send some homemade porn to him. Um, could square away his debt for him and then be with him together. Like, Wow. Be with him forever. She sounds too good to be true. Doesn't she? Yeah. This sounded amazing to the severely depressed, vulnerable, and lonely Jerry. Yeah. Yeah, while, I bet all it would. Of, while all of this is happening, Cherie is still with Bruce. She went from dating him to living with him to marrying him. So just days after she married Bruce, she booked a trip to Reno and told her new husband that it was for a conference for Mary Kay souls, uh, sales workers to go to, to like learn about new products and talk to each other and like oh network yeah like network and share tips and like from all over the country they would go and talk about this and so she's like i know we just got married but i really 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 want to go kind of a a grandiose lie well the lie detector determined that that was a lie yeah okay she flew out to reno to hook up with jer bear and that she did they had a weekend of role play and sex and when the weekend was over Cherie smoothed out her dress, went home to Flint, Michigan, to her husband and children as if she didn't just do what she just did. Oh, Cherie. Now, this whirlwind weekend really solidified his feelings. Yeah, I'm sure it did. She was not the mysterious woman in Michigan that he'd never met. He actually got to meet her and spend time with her and hold her. And to someone that hadn't seen a friendly face in a while, it was pretty great. That probably meant the world. She was the real deal and he was head over heels and he was convinced that she was too because she told him so. Oh. Jerry had even told some family and some of the remaining friends that he'd had about her. He told his mother that he was smitten um, and that she was the woman of his dreams. And he also told a friend that Cherie was great and quote, there wasn't a thing she wouldn't do in the bedroom. Oh my. 
they Jerry. even changed their screen names online to corny shit like Jerry's girl or Cherie's guy and you know just uh, like tacky but I'm with stupid and stupid mm-hmm. like just <laughs> like little like coupled names to go together and everything yeah. and like you know showed ownership over so each in other love and with the cliche of it all of yeah. course yeah and this, who hasn't this kick started months of her flying to Reno for all of these Mary Kay meetings all the while she's getting down and dirty with a man that's not her husband. Wow, these Mary Kay meetings are really taking a lot more than they're bringing in money-wise, huh? hmm Okay. And Cherie had never really had money before in her life. You know, before she met Bruce, she didn't have any of that. She didn't have the freedom. Remember, she had children what? very young. That's... So- okay, sorry. I mean, sometimes it just always surprises me how much people are willing to take advantage of other people. I know it shouldn't. It shouldn't. We've been doing this for well over a year. We've been studying it and living in it for a significantly longer period of time than that. But I ju- it's just, I'm always like, with his money? With his money. Oh, yeah. She grew up not Ugh. really having pennies to rub together, but this new world with Bruce, who loved her and cared about her who who loved her and cared about her and took on the role of dad for kids who provided who was bringing mm-hmm. her gifts that he thought she'd like that she just used to get more money to do something else that she wanted but in order to maintain the lifestyle he had to work really long hours again he right. owned his own business he did that so while he's doing that she's like well you leave me at home alone all the time and I'm <laughs> bored and all of these things. So instead of filling her time with anything productive, she just literally begins affairs. And that was that's what's really awful here because where she could have just appreciated the hard work that her husband put in yes. and where she could have joined him in that and they could have built that life together, she took a step back, used the internet to like pretty much fill in whatever voids she thought we're missing all the while her husband just thinks that she's working on the part of the business that she has taken on and so this is a new world to her she could afford to travel she could escape boring family life which i can't imagine why she'd find boring she finally has a family now yeah but it wasn't enough and of course she's using her oblivious husband's money to fund all of this her kids they were taken care of yeah but they also missed their mom yeah but you know for her she's like i deserve to have fun right and it's like no you don't you're a mother to three kids that need you you deserve to have fun but you don't deserve to have fun at the expense of their well-being of course yeah i mean not to say you should never have fun ever at all but like you are dumping your children on a man who though he cares about them and wants to adopt them doesn't know them all too well because you just started dating and then you just got married right after starting today. She like washes her hands of her kids, fucks on off to Reno, fucks a different guy, comes on home, smooths out her dress, and she's like, "Hey Bruce, love Touching you, my pearls, love you, hubby." Some of the Mary Kay girls are also double dipping and selling another cosmetics brand. <gasps> Queen, stop. So Cherie's just a turd. Yeah. She just is. And the turd soon had some big news to share with Jerry. Oh, is the turd going to become turds? Well, the turd emailed Jerry a photo of a sonogram. I thought so. And told him that she was pregnant with his child. And Jerry was elated. 
No. Where a lot of men might have been like, oh, fuck. Or Jerry I didn't mean so to do excited. that. But Jerry considered this a second chance at a wife and family. And I get really frustrated hearing that he wanted to have a family and raise kids. Like, that it didn't motivate him to make it right with the kid he already had and the wife he already had. Like, yeah, I understand uh, getting a chance where you feel like you can make it all right, but you didn't get to make it all right for them. Right. But again, we're looking at Jerry in, like, the absolute worst part of his life right now. Yeah. Well, and the other piece, too, is it does take two for that to happen. He could, I mean, for all we know, he could have tried. And maybe that door was firmly closed, but... We know he tried with his wife and she wasn't having it, but I don't have a whole lot of backing up the daughter, uh, the son, son. Sorry. So that part bothers me. So while I'm happy that he wasn't like, oh, fuck, because this is still a new child and a new life you're bringing into the world, supposedly. The fact that he's like, ah, yes, my new family does irk me. And that's a yeah, like looking at people as people and like you already have like yeah i don't know that just infuriates me but he was excited she sent him pictures of her baby bump oh which i will have to post on the instagram because i'll show you okay um but then she told jerry that something terrible happened no don't rip this away from jerry oh it gets worse she said Bruce and I don't know if she had told Jerry that this was her husband or boyfriend at this point but Bruce is a partner in her life and Jerry knows and Jerry knows oh Jerry but the thing is is that she told Jerry that Bruce found out about their messages and their hookups and he was furious then she told Jerry that Bruce beat her so severely that she suffered a miscarriage and then Cherie sent him photos of her like bruised belly where she had been beaten and then she told him how devastated she was because she was so excited to get out of this life and go with Jerry and marry him and have their family and their kids and all of that stuff and this was all taken away and Jerry nearly lost his shit all over again he grieved the child he thought he was gonna have and he was infuriated that Cherie this darling kind incredible woman could have been treated so terribly i'm sorry my jaw is on the literal floor um all i'm thinking is like if this is fake i'm gonna be so pissed hold on to that jerry declared that he would make it right and that he would seek justice oh jerry but the thing is is that jerry didn't know the sonogram photos that he'd seen were fake and the baby bump was definitely not a baby bump she had probably just gone to Olive Garden and had never-ending breadsticks and then took a picture of her belly. It was quite literally not a baby bump. The bruises, they weren't bruises. That was her makeup. It was actually Mary Kay makeup, okay? That she had used, like, purple eyeshadow to try to make bruises on her stomach. Why would you fucking do that to someone? That is so... And I know that I jumped right into this has to be fake. If it's... I mean, I know it's not real, but if it was real, that is a terrible scenario to have to go through. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this fucking bitch. What the fuck? Well, of course. And so the thing is, is I've got quite a few thoughts on this. First of all, real women go through that. Real real women suffer domestic violence. Real women can miscarry as a result of that. Yep. 
for every lie you tell you take away from you take the voice away from somebody else who has actually gone through that so i really fucking despise women making shit up when it's very i mean i dislike anyone making anything up but what i'm saying is like she knew that that would appeal to his like former law enforcement right heartstrings like the sense of duty and to do right and she knows of the stuff that happened at her job and that above all else like regardless of whatever's going on in his personal life when he puts on his professional hat he's pretty professional right and very like there's right and there's wrong and there's what you do and what you don't do right and beating a pregnant woman is something that you don't do correct and so she knew that she would be turning like all of these gears in jerry who was at the worst possible mental place he's ever been in yeah so then we find out that of course jerry doesn't know this jerry still believes it's all real but sharia actually had a medical procedure done where she could not get pregnant anymore ah so we know for a fact that there was no no baby no baby at all and this was all fake and we'll talk more about it later but it's just like another layer of this that right. not only was that not true but it wasn't even that like she thought she might have been right it couldn't have been and she it wasn't. made sure by choice that it could not have been and he just believed this web of lies that she'd spun because he had no reason not to he thought she was the bee's knees he thought Aww. the sun shone out of her ass so jerry begged her to leave bruce bruce who is this awful awful person who just beat the shit out of her and caused her to lose the baby that jerry had wanted so badly and he said for her to come to reno he said like i'll take care of you i want you to be with me it's not safe for you there you need to be here i would never treat you like that oh jerry he thinks he's doing a good thing and sheree said that she couldn't because she was so afraid of bruce because you see, what she hadn't told Jerry was Bruce was in the mafia. And not only that, but he was deep in it. Like, he was one of the head guys, like a capo. Like, the, like the salvage yard he owned was a front for the mob to launder money through. So, like, the inner workings of this. Now she's fucking throwing criminal charges on this man. And this is the late 90s when The Sopranos premiered. So she's basically like, oh, yeah, just like that. Mm-hmm. She's basically like, oh, Mm. my husband had a panic attack when the birds left. Uh Uh-huh. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Now we're in shit. Now now we're here. So then you add this layer onto it. And she's like, well, here's the real reason I can't leave. It's because of all of these things. So then you add another layer to Jerry, the ex-cop. And like the worst thing Bruce could be would be somebody in organized crime to an ex-cop. And then you have him beating the woman that he loves and all of these things. It's like setting up fucking Jenga. It's It's terrible. (laughs) And so the tension and anger here just continued and Jerry felt increasingly more protective over her and she was in danger with this mob boss who killed their unborn child. It was like out of a movie, but Jerry wholeheartedly believed this and he's like, no one should treat anybody like this. It like re relit that flame in him. You know what I mean? And like this, like I need to, I need to make this right. I don't care what it costs me kind of thing. Oh no, Jerry. So within weeks in early 1999, the turd tells Jerry she's pregnant again. But miraculously, even though the timelines really didn't add up, she said that not only was she pregnant, but this time she was pregnant with twins. Oh. 
and then her husband found out, assaulted her, and she miscarried again. Oh. Wow. And I don't know how Jerry believed this. Again, while I feel awful that he was struggling, how do you believe this? I get it, and it happens every single day, but there is a level of you have to pull yourself up, and you have to, like, brush off, and you have to go on with life. You cannot self-destruct for years. Resilience is a skill that needs to be practiced at times. And I will say, if there's one thing Mrs. Abeldabelson has bestowed upon me that I will bestow upon all of you, you cannot go day by day. You can go hour by hour. And if you cannot go hour by hour, you can go minute by minute. But that's how it happens. It doesn't happen by just like, well, this is it. Guess that's all. That's all for now, folks. My life is over. I'm a piece of shit. See, it's like, yeah, if that's what you're going to do, that that's pretty self-fulfilling. But like you have the power to be the one to change that. Well, and the thing is, and for Jerry, like, while it's awful what happened with his career, really, yes, I understand awful. grieving your career and the work that you put into it. And he was a damn good cop at the time. But there comes a time where you need to make peace with that or yes. at least accept it and then figure out where you move forward. Not self-sabotage every other part of your life. Bring your family down with you. I mean, because at that point, that is on him. That yeah. isn't anybody else's. And so we've got this, like... He could have gotten that news and you know i'm not saying this is a should have i'm just saying he could have said fuck that and gone and like fucking been a chef or something you know what i mean like you can maybe with a little more training and or education or something but you can really just do that you can you have that ability you can and you still it even if not for you and you should always it should always be for you right right it shouldn't be for other people. It can also be for them, but it has to be for you first. But let's just even take Jerry out of it. Even if he's not going to do it for him because of like some self-loathing stuff or whatever. Right. You've got a child. You've got a wife. You have to. You have to make something work. And it's not uprooting your family to move to a, a casino, basically. No. So that you can be surrounded by sex, drugs, Vices. and alcohol. Like yeah. that's not... That's not what you do. And so... Maybe the spark of that is like this situation. Maybe it's someone he can protect. Maybe it's somebody that he can help, even though he didn't help himself and he didn't do any of those things. I don't know. We can't ask him. And I think the law enforcement background is so interesting, too, because not only is this pulling on the heartstrings of all of the literal trauma that he's walked in on and helped with. Not only that, but he's poured it all out on the table to this woman. She knows every single one of these things to exploit. Right. And... I think the thing that frustrates me about this is I can totally see how he'd get taken advantage of in this situation, especially given that because now it is someone he can help. Now it is something he's done. He has experience in this. This is like a confidence boost. He knows what to do. Mm -hmm. So this is it's all around awful. Yeah. Shitty. And she knew his weaknesses and she knew what he was what he had going on and she knew how vulnerable he was and she specifically chose the words and the circumstances and the situations to say happened yes to play into that no bruce was not in the mafia no he was not laundering money through his business he was a hard-working man who probably worked 12 plus hours a day who married this woman who was like young and pretty but he loved her and wanted to raise her kids with her yep that's what this was and she would do anything she could to exploit that for all it was worth 
so after and i'm just gonna keep calling her the turd because that just seems like it's fitting to me right now yeah i like Um, that in my bones i feel it thank you yeah after the turd said that she had had the twins but she was pregnant he she gets beaten up again Mm -hmm. and then loses that jerry is just enraged like it's beyond because now this is the second time he feels vulnerable because he's in either nevada or missouri at this point because at one point in here he does move in with the cousin right but he's feeling like he helpless he can't do anything he's so far away so jerry and sheree they're still messaging and they were emailing and that is when sheree sent jerry directions to the salvage yard that bruce owned no they arranged to meet up before he got there and this is just what we can see in the messages we don't know what was said over phone calls or anything but like emails and messages we've got like the transcripts of that you know yeah and then there was a message from her about can you really do it can you really follow through eek and i'm like okay that's a little suspicious and their messages then included like where to park at the junkyard so as not to be seen so like park far enough away but a little bit closer so you don't have to walk too far and all of that and so what it came down to was this the two had devised a plan and it was actually a pretty solid plan jerry would approach the junkyard when bruce was working he'd park away so he wouldn't be seen jerry would be armed with a 20 gauge shotgun okay Cherie would call Bruce at work to distract him. Make some kind of plan with him, probably about dinner. Not the pizza. Oh, it's the pizza. And after Bruce hung up, Jerry was to kill him. Shit. And in reality, this plan was successful. Okay. They did what they said they were going to do. Jerry shot Bruce twice, once in the neck and once in the upper back. And after Bruce was dead... Jerry called Cherie. He let it ring one time and then he hung up, which was the signal to tell her that it was done and that he was going home. Okay. And home was now his cousin's house in Missouri. Right. So Bruce Miller was murdered November 8th, 1999. Jerry succeeded in protecting his woman. Or so he thought. Poor guy. He... Didn't feel like there was anything else to do. Cherie had planted the idea in his head that she would never be free and she would never be safe if Bruce were alive. Yeah. And so, can you please help me? I don't know what to do. And he was a homicide detective, so he knew how to get away with it. Yeah. He would know how not to leave evidence behind, or at least in 1999 terms. Yeah. You know, Um, and in his mind, he put a criminal to death. A criminal that was involved in the mafia, one that beat his wife and raped her and caused the death of several unborn children. Yeah. And Jerry did all of this to save Cherie, who begged to be saved. Oh, my gosh. And shortly after Bruce was dead and Cherie could collect the life insurance policy, she ghosted Jerry. Yeah, of course she fucking did. The man that she'd convinced to murder her husband, she just slowly stopped answering his messages And instead, she just started dating other men because she could. Because there were still thousands of men online that she could talk to. And she loved making homemade videos and sending photos of her tits and all the other fun things that she could do. Apparently, other than like literally anything she was supposed to do, she'd rather do this. She would have done 
So many sales on OnlyFans. For sure. Sounds like her passion. Yeah, just a little... She's just a little before her time, you know? Yeah. And Jerry, unfortunately, he soon put the pieces together. Oh, okay. He did. He oh, kind of came to his senses and he realized that his relationship with Cherie was not at all what he thought it was. Right. He realized that she didn't actually love him. And okay. he realized, most importantly, that he was a pawn in her game. And worst of all, he'd murdered an innocent man. He took a life. Yeah. Which went against the very vow and commitment and ethical and moral code that Jerry had sworn to a decades pulse. ago. Yeah. And the career that he so desperately wanted back that he felt would put all the pieces together and again in his life. And now he did the very thing that should land him in prison for the rest of his life. Yeah. It absolutely broke him. Yeah. Now, investigators in Flint, Michigan, did not have much to go on. Despite the lies that Cherie had told, Bruce didn't have enemies. Yeah. No, he wasn't in the mafia. There was no shady business. There was no one that wanted him dead. Okay. They looked into a friend of his that I think might have been a former employee that did owe Bruce money, but that didn't check out. That guy had no issue. He had an alibi. He had everything squared away. They right. were able to rule him out. And other than this one person that wouldn't have hurt him but did owe him money, nobody owed Bruce anything. Right. Bruce didn't owe anything to anybody else. Because Bruce was a good guy. He didn't have people that hated him and certainly no one that would have disliked him enough to do this to him. And so they couldn't think of anything. And so his case just sort of grew cold. No. So then we're going to take the pin out from the very beginning of our story. In the black suitcase. With the briefcase. Briefcase under the bed. Correct. Okay. The family's going through this. Now, remember, they are grieving. They have no idea what's happened they find this briefcase and what i didn't tell you was that taped to the front of the briefcase were three letters that were addressed to three different family members yeah that'll do it one letter was addressed to his brother his brother's name is mike and it said do not open alone okay now i would probably open it same i'm like a cat in that way if it were on the table i'd push it off mm-hmm. and if you said don't touch that i'd touch it twice and if you'd told me not to do something, I'd really want to do it. I don't know that I'd do it, but I'd really want to. Right. But Mike was better than me, you and all of us. Good. And he actually didn't open it. Go, Mike. But what he did do was contact an attorney. Good. Because they were going through his things. You know, could this affect like the estate or he was a former police officer? Like, what if this was like old case stuff? He just right. wanted to I make want sure. legal protection. Yeah. Things that things were okay. So the attorney said, okay, you can move forward. You can open everything. And when Mike opened the letter that was addressed to him, Jerry had laid it all out. Oh. He had named the reasons why he decided to take his own life. But he also made a confession. Okay. A murder confession. Yeah. Now, Jerry had written everything that (sighs) happened And he said that he just couldn't take it anymore. The fact that he'd murdered an innocent man broke him. It took, it tore him to shreds. Yeah. Because it was hard enough to commit to, I don't know, murder somebody that you wholeheartedly believed was one of the most evil swine on the planet. Right. That 
did everything that you were against that beat his wife that was the result of children dying in his eyes yeah it that was difficult enough then you find out that it was completely false and that this was a good hard-working man jerry couldn't take it it completely yeah. it tore him apart and so he wrote of the lies that Cherie had spun and most importantly he included printouts of the thousands of emails and aol messages yes he had gathered all of that and put it all neatly together and even included hotel receipts and flight confirmations because he thought like a detective yeah now he said that he just couldn't survive it Oh, he just couldn't do it. But that the truth did need to co- to come out and that Cherie needed to be held responsible. So he was just counting on them finding that. But he kept receipts of everything. Did I always have a receipts folder? Investigators from Missouri contacted the investigators in Flint and discovered that they did actually have an unsolved homicide of a man named Bruce Miller. And that uh-huh. all of these pieces fit together, and ultimately they arrested Cherie Miller Good. for second-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Good! So she was initially offered a plea of 15 years, which she denied, and she maintained her innocence throughout her trial. They were going to let her go with 15 years, mm-hmm. and she turned that shit down? She turned that shit down. Good! Now, she of don't. course, I think... We need to take a second to also recognize the impact that this had on Jerry's family. Yes. They have opted to really stay pretty quiet of it. So I'm going to respect that. But at no point did they need to offer that letter. They could have said, ooh, no. And they could have sat on that because putting that forward also brought scrutiny to their family. Absolutely. That their family member had committed murder. Yeah. So. And. The murder of an innocent person. Yeah. And so I credit them with doing what was a difficult thing. But the right thing. But the right thing. In my opinion, at least. I agree. So in the end, after her trial, and luckily because Jerry's family did bring forward all of this information, which really was a huge part of the prosecution, especially with just all of the receipts and the hotel rooms and the flight right. confirmations it had a complete layout of their time together wow and in the end Shuri was found guilty on all charges good and she was sentenced to life in prison yay but years later though in 2009 she made an appeal yep because you've got nothing but time when you're incarcerated and Absolutely. you can appeal as much as you want um And the appeal was based on the grounds that Jerry's suicide note should not have been admissible. Why? Because it couldn't be refuted. They couldn't, she couldn't question her accuser. Uh, And that it was from a man who was obviously struggling and could have just made all, this is what they're saying, that it could have just made this all up. I hate this. And so it was upheld. And she was released in 2009. And then the appeal was overturned in 2012. (laughs) And she was sent back to prison to serve the entire sentence. Good. So Cherie maintained her innocence throughout until one day. One day out of the blue, 
Judge Judith Fullerton, who presided over the case, received a confession letter. No shit. And I want to say this was like in 2016 or so. So, I mean, years later. Yes. You know, she held on for as long as she could. It was not the next morning. No. Now, her entire confession is available online. Okay. You can see the whole text of it, but there are some specific quotes from her interviews and then also quotes from the letters that I want to include here. Nice. And some of these I've just pulled to show, like, this is how we know these things happened. So when she talked about her fake pregnancy, she said, quote, I just pushed my belly out. Jerry wanted to believe so bad that I believed that he'd see the pregnancy even though it wasn't there. And it's true. So when she talked about, like, I sent yeah. a picture of my baby bump, the, it she literally just, like, forced it out and probably had a big meal and was like, ah, yes, this is it. He'd think I was, like, ready to pop if he ever saw me after gluten. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> but the thing is, is she, she knew she's like, I played off the fact that I knew he'd want to see it was there, so he'd see that it was there. Do you know what I mean? Imagine knowing that that's what you did and being like, yeah, no, that's what I did. Mm -hmm. No, I saw it. He just seemed like a little desperate, and I really wanted something from him. So So she also said, You. It was so much easier. It was so much easier lying about it to myself. It's so much easier to look at yourself when you don't have to look at yourself with the truth. There's no way for me to change or undo what I did. It's forever and I can't take it back. I don't feel that I deserve to live life and be happy when Bruce and Jerry don't get that chance. Okay. And then in her confession letter, she wrote, I hurt a lot of people. I destroyed a lot of lives and it's time to end the lies and tell the truth. Judge Fullerton, I did it. Almost the way the prosecutor said I did. Okay. She went on to say, in prison, if you are here for killing your husband, you are well-liked. But if you are in for killing a child, you are well-hated. And I've tried to make sense of this. Bruce was somebody's child. I don't care if he was in his 40s. He was his mother's child. I see no difference. I am as bad as a child killer. No killer is good, child or adult. Is that meant to be profound? Probably. But she went on to say this. Baby's first lesson in morality. <laughs> she said, I have to thank you, Judge Fullerton. You saved my children from a horrible mother. They had a great life once I came here. My mother made sure that they were all well taken care of. And even though I was a horrible mother and a murderer, she brought them to see me weekly, something Bruce's children didn't have with their father these last 16 years. When I was at home, they suffered. They were introduced to many men. I drank all the time, smoked weed, and took pills. They suffered a lot because of me. They were sexually and physically abused by my second husband because of me. So my my coming to prison saved their lives. They were innocent in all of this. They had to battle in school because of the media that I continued to go out to. So what she's saying here is she opted to do a lot of like interviews and like interact mm-hmm. a lot with the press and which made her kids lives difficult Hell. because yeah, she was like front page news. Then she went on to say, it didn't dawn on me the pain that had, that I had caused them until the moment I had to come back seeing into my daughter's pain filled eyes. Okay. So then she wrote of Bruce and this is awful. She said, he was a great man. He never hurt me or my children. All he did was love us. 
He wanted to adopt my children. He just wanted a family. The only man who loved me for me and I had him killed. I had 16 and a half hours to stop it and I didn't. I knew it was going to happen and I allowed it. I allowed a man to kill another man based on my lies and manipulation. Okay. So while I appreciate the self-reflection, that's all well and fine. I hope she means it, but you can still stay there. Um, I'm going to say this not be and modify it in a minute. Okay. You know that saying too little too late. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's very similar to that. Um, it is in fact too little. It is in fact too late, but it is a good start. Mm-hmm. But it is certainly too little too late. There are two people dead and being able to say like, Hey, I manipulated these men. Sorry. I mean, it sounded more sincere than that. Don't get me wrong, but that doesn't fix it. That acknowledges. And this isn't something that can be fixed. And it doesn't sound like she's saying that it should. But uh, it's like when someone does the same thing over and over and over and over again. Stop fucking saying sorry. Just do different. Mm -hmm. Be better. Do the right thing. Don't just be like, well, yeah, I fucked that one, huh? Well, and where she says she had 16 and a half hours, that's because Jerry dro like drove. Oh, my God. He drove to Michigan. And for Jerry 16 Bear. and a half hours, he's on this, like, mission, and he's, like, shaking and nervous, but he's going to take out a murderer. Now, he should have just called the police. He should yes. have done all of that, but she was like, I'll go down with him, and, like, of course my money's tied in with that, and of course my, like, I've been made to do things... And, like, you know, she posed as this innocent, trustworthy, like, petite little woman Ugh. who, like, just was, like, a fighter and just, like, fought to live Yeah. anyway. And wasn't that enough? Why would she have to pay for that, too? And so she had 16 hours of knowing that Jerry was driving to go kill her very innocent husband who never did anything to her. And the only reason that she had him killed was because she didn't want to get caught in her own lie. And she had money coming to her as a result. And so it took four months for them to put the pieces together from when Jerry's family went through his things. Wow. So by February of the next year, she was incarcerated anyway. Well, she was arrested right. and then had her trial later in the year. But she had every, she fuck? did have every opportunity. And I'm not saying that Jerry is innocent in this, but in a way, he's a victim too. Even though he was the perpetrator in this. You can be both. But... You took advantage of a man that was at the lowest point in his life, had him spill everything pretty much bad that had ever happened to him, and then you devised a story that played on every single one of the heartstrings he shared with you, and then begged him to do something about it, and then you appealed to his, like, piece, everything. the piece of him that thought he could make something right in his life. And a man who so desperately needed something to go right. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to be said that we just simply don't have the time to get into today about parasocial relationships and the way that online relationships can go. Mm -hmm. um, but she got to pretend to be anybody. But she got to pretend to be anyone. And, and she chose a turd. Mm. Imagine. I'd be like Beyonce or something. I don't but think I'd be such a turd. No, I, yeah, maybe not Beyonce. I don't really want to be famous, but certainly not a turd. Um, 
No, it's just, it's so disappointing. It's so disheartening. It's depraved. It, and that, I, th- I think that's why a simple like, yeah, I did all these things and they were all really shitty. Doesn't do it for me because that was your process the whole time. That wasn't a revelation that you came to seven years after you went to prison. This is something that you thought on, that you created a plan for it, that you manipulated people into doing, that you took what you had to get more for less. But in all for what, it wasn't like Bruce actually was abusive and it wasn't like she actually wanted to be with Jerry and needed Bruce out of the way. It was literally just so she wasn't embarrassed when all of this came out that she was actually full of shit. It wasn't even about the money because she had money from Bruce before the life insurance. Like it was just it was all so needless. And again, Jerry's family could have chosen to just withhold that stuff. Yeah. And some people wouldn't blame them. I mean, I am always like, the truth needs to come out and it would need to go. But I mean, the shame that that puts on the family, I know can be difficult, even though it's not a result of their actions. But like now they're in the spotlight. Right. For very horrific reasons. Yeah. Of the actions of a family member. But this family member was also manipulated and treated poorly so there's just there's so many like compounded victims here and like the victimization here just like snowballed and snowballed and Mm. snowballed and today she is still incarcerated okay she will not be released at least that's the terms of her sentence right now nice she is 51 years old cool her case has been covered um in many forms it's again most recognized for being regarded as the first internet murder and so Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of episodes on that like there's one on forensic files in this case there's an episode of i think like deadly women on like id discovery (laughs) or something there's a 2020 episode and then there's a lifetime movie fatal desire oh that is based on this case so this shit has like roots in a lot yeah it's i mean the case itself has it have their roots in this okay snowballed in and of itself into like the media and being the basis of a lot of things but yeah i think what this comes down to is the importance of taking care of your mental health yeah not self-isolating so in the description we will have some mental health resources you can also find them on our instagram page under our um, resources highlights but again 988 in the u.s is always the um, go-to it's like your 911 for mental health yep Um, And again, you guys, just a reminder, I know I said it earlier, it never hurts to ask someone, literally just, are you thinking about killing yourself? It does not put an idea in someone's head. It just makes a space for them to talk about it, which is so important. There are so many accounts of people who have either tried and not completed or were about to try. And the only reason they didn't was because one person gave them a reason to live. And if you need that reason, this is your reason to live. The ATFTC fam would not be the same without you. But assuming that this is for someone else as well, obviously we'd love them to join the fam. But 988 is a great resource for people who are trained quality professionals who can help talk you through that crisis. Also, the resources that we do have are usually national and strictly U.S. based just because we don't know everything out there, um, but we are certainly big advocates of just throwing in a quick Google search for your local mental health center 
if you're not in the U.S. Couldn't agree more. Nice. Wow, that was a good one. Thank you. That was a lot. I was on a roller coaster. I told you. And now you guys can like unbuckle from the roller coaster. Thank you. You no longer have to keep your hands on feet and legs. The shoulder harness was getting heavy. The shoulder <laughs> harness, honey. Um, so yeah. So um, I love, appreciate you guys. I hope that you guys continue to listen and download, rate, review, um, email, reach out. Abby, if they wanted to check out our Instagram, where would they find it? You ask great questions. Thank you. So if you guys wanted to catch our little Instagram, you'd look it up with the little search bubble and go about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that's <gasps> A-B-O-U-T period T-I-M-E period F-O-R period T-R-U-E period C-R-I-M-E period P-O-D because podcast was too long. But if you were to go to that, you would also find all of those resources we were talking about in our highlights as well as some reprieves. So some memes, some silly, goofy guys. Um, you could also get on our feed. You would always see the people, places, and things that we talk about in each episode, and you might even catch a glimpse of a pod pet. But if you wanted to send us your own thoughts on it, your case recommendations, your exciting news that you think relates to this, or maybe an update on a case we've done before, or any and all of the above, and whatever you really feel like, you could do that to our email. But Allie, where would they email us? If you wanted to email us, you would do so at about time, the number four, TC at gmail.com. So that's A-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E, numeric four, TC at gmail.com. We love you all so much. What an incredible case to cover. And we can't wait to see you next week. We can't wait to see you. And if I take a look at my watch, that was about, about time, time for true crime. crime. Bye. Bye. Bye.